Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Believe in Mavs right here on the Believe Network. My name is Kevin Gray. You can find me on Twitter at Kevin Gray Sports, joined by my co-host, Alex Tosopoulos. Alex, what's up, man? Good to see you here on Believe in Mavs, the inaugural episode of Believe in Mavs right here on the Believe Network. Hey, Kevin. I'm uh, I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Mavs in the Western Conference Finals. It's been a while since we've been in this position. Happy to be talking some ball. Watch our boy Luka Doncic and the rest of the guys get after the Warriors tonight. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun out in Golden State for game two of the Western Conference Finals. The Mavericks dropping the first game on the road. But hey, they've loved spotting each of these teams in the first couple rounds, the first game. So I guess this is par for the course so far, having dropped game one to Utah, dropped game one to Phoenix. Right. We all know how those series ended when it came to the Mavericks and winning those series. So maybe they just want to make the Warriors feel like they got a fighting chance uh, in this series before they ultimately get it done. Uh, before we go any further... You're wearing, I believe, what is to be the only Dorian Finney-Smith Florida jersey running around this great United States of America. Is that right? Is that what I'm looking I, at right well, there? Well, we, we'll have to put it out in the ether. We'll have to put some feelers out there to see if anyone else also has the jersey. <laughs> but uh, I feel like it's somewhat unique of a jersey, and I'm happy to rock DFS's Florida jersey, number 10. I, he's just a guy that doesn't get enough love especially yeah. in just the the broad stroke NBA media. The guy is a fantastic defender. He deserves to be on an all defensive team. I think I know Luca obviously was advocating that throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very much the leader on defense for this team. And I think that because of that, he's going to have to do a lot in, in this game in game two. Cause what I saw, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I saw a lot of like initial effort defensively for, from our Mavs but there was not a lot of follow through right so there was a hard closeout but of course this is a this is a warriors team that has a lot of motion a lot of back cuts mm-hmm. and it's not enough just to to get that first contest out um, on a guy who's in the triple threat who's ready to shoot because as we saw on that one fast break kind of secondary fast break play where Steph gets the screen and then there was a late contest by Dwight Powell and he, and he hits mm-hmm. it kind of from the the right wing you got to be aggressive you got to stick with it for 24 seconds that's one thing I'm definitely going to be looking for in game two for the, for these maps. Yeah, when you look back at game one and the constant movement of the Golden State Warriors, it's not just about the first action. It's about the second, the third, the fourth action. That ball movement and the way that they are able to get things moving, whether it be you know guys like Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, running off of screens and pin downs, trying to get open shots, but the overall ball movement with Draymond Green facilitating things, it takes a while for a team to get used to that. And I think the Mavericks found out the hard way in game one that this isn't the Utah Jazz. This isn't the Phoenix Suns where you see a lot more in terms of, you know, screening action in terms of, you know, methodically being able to get, you know, mid-range as far as the Phoenix Suns were concerned, pick and roll stuff that Utah likes to run, obviously, with what they've got going on there. It is constant motion with the Golden State Warriors. And if you don't find yourself sticking to guys, closing airspace, you're going to find yourself getting run ragged the way that they did in game one. And I think that was a, a big, big difference in what you saw in the first two series versus what you saw in game one is that you got to get used to that speed, that quickness, and just overall ball movement that the Golden State Warriors like to use. I think the Mavericks should be a little bit better with that going into, into game two tonight, hopefully. Yeah, I'd expect so. Um, 
there's just something really demoralizing about that end of the shot clock play that Clay had where he dropped it off to Looney for the weak side dunk. Um, And I think that's something that I've watched and something to correct that the Mavs have had from both series prior, where in late shot clock situations, four seconds left, they kind of have this feeling where they've already won the possession, but you've got four more seconds. And there's a lot that can happen in those four seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas on offense, I think when we're in those positions, we get quite stagnant. Defensively, I, I think we we let up a lot, um, and obviously this is a this is a very savvy team, veterans who have played deep in the playoffs before, and they're never going to make it easy for you. But I, I do expect the Mavs to to bounce back tonight in some capacity. What that means, we'll have to to wait and see. Um, you know, we saw the Celtics; they just absolutely whopped the Heat last night on their <laughs> on their home court. Um, this has been an interesting playoffs just all across the board. Is this something that we're going to see going forward where there's going to be games with with very high variance, with large leads uh, in, the, in the modern NBA? This just feels like something that that fans need to get used to. Yeah, because I think you looked at back at the Phoenix series while it did go the seven games. None of those games were close by any means. And we thought that we were finally going to get a close game in game seven. That didn't happen either. And then you look at the Boston Miami series so far and through two games. Boston, in both first halves, dominated the first half. The difference between game one and game two is Miami was able to turn things around in the second half. Miami wasn't able to do much of anything, obviously, in the second half of game two. Here we are tied at 1-1 in that series. I think going for tonight when it comes to the Mavericks, what they got, did the Warriors, what they got out of Andrew Wiggins, they got 15 points for him by halftime. That was huge for them because if you told me, Alex, that – you were going to hold Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry to 4-14 shooting for just seven points in the first half. I would have told you, you're probably up by 10 points at the half. Right. But then you don't account for Andrew Riggins, who was playing really well offensively. Kevon Looney got involved early on. I think at times what has been a problem for this team throughout the course of the season, their inability to close out possessions with defensive rebounds, allowing for second chance points, second chance rebounds. And that got them a little bit as well. I remember a specific one. Stephen Curry misses not one but both free throws gets his own rebound. And next, thing you know, he hits an elbow jumper and he gets the two points right back, you know, in the course of that game. So their abilities to have to close out possessions, I think is going to be huge, but more importantly, you've got to account for other guys. I think Jordan Poole played probably one of his best games in quite some time in the playoffs because in the series against Denver, he was playing really well, didn't play great against Memphis, but he came back in a big way in game one for the Warriors. It's those other guys that you have to account for because, you know, Clay and Steph were pretty much going to get theirs, but right. Wiggins, Looney, and Poole, I thought were really good for them in game one. Yeah, Poole really impressed me. I've been watching him like a hawk these entire, sure. all these playoff series, partly just because he's so entertaining. And when he mm-hmm. gets, you know, within six feet of the basket, what he can do with with the spin around the rim and his finishing ability, his up and unders, um, a lot of it, you know, Brunson Luca-esque with his pivot work for sure. Although he's he's a bit more fleet of foot than the two of them are. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, if he's shooting threes well, that opens a lot of things up because I'd love to, in a defense, from a defensive concept standpoint, I'd love to turn him into a jump shooter, right? Sure. But he hit a couple of, you know, decently contested threes on the closeout. He hit that uh, the early step back that I think took it to like 22-16. So he, he played really well. Um, he was, you know, four for five early on, on shooting and they were, what, 17 for 23, all the other guys besides Stephen Clay in the first half. So 
I I wanted to see what I didn't think what I didn't like about what the Mavs did for certain parts of the first half specifically, especially because the three point shots weren't falling mm-hmm. was attack the matchups. Like I thought they were going to. Um, and I, and I know that our game is different than the warriors and it's not as much movement off ball. Um, but I think I, I'd like to see that turned up like 20% extra, a little more off ball screens, a little more back cuts. Luca can find those guys, but it allowed the defensive schematics of the Warriors to be pretty much pretty sound and, and they could kind of play zone, a, a sort of man zone the entire game. Um, and the guys off ball had a much easier time than, you know, the guys in the Sun series did and the defenders, especially in the Jazz series. But of course, yeah. that, a lot of that had to do with us breaking down the the initial defender, you know, with with the dribble. Yeah, I think you saw a lot of different looks being thrown at the Mavericks offensively. Luka Doncic seeing boxing one zones. You saw a lot of different things that the Warriors tried to do to kind of, in essence, junk up the game from a defensive standpoint. And we've seen that from time to time. I remember Toronto did it at one point. I remember Indiana did it at one point, trying to throw some different looks at him to try and get him confused and trying to get him out of rhythm and out of sync offensively. I don't think you'll see too much more of that because you can only run that so much before Luca is able to diagnose it and figure it out and really be able to exploit, you know, those defensive coverages. I think one thing that I didn't like offensively from the Mavericks is that they did not put Stephen Curry into much action in game one. One of the things that we know about Stephen Curry throughout his years, while he's a great three-point shooter, terrific offensively. He can be a revolving door at times on the defensive end. So I thought not getting him into actions more enough to force him to play defense, I thought was a big missed opportunity because we know how much energy he's going to expend throughout a game offensively. Right. You got to make him expend that same energy on the defensive end as well. So I think getting him into more actions with you know screen and rolls, getting him and hunting him, I think it needs to be a different definite change going into game two for the Mavericks offensively. And it was it was such a good strategy against Chris Paul in that series in, in Phoenix, you know, against Phoenix mm-hmm. and Jalen Brunson and Luca thrive in the low post and in the high post. So it, it makes a lot of sense to, to hunt for him. Like you're talking about and, and really physically wear him down. Um, Cause he's wearing himself down on, on the offensive end where he's just exactly. running around. It's like JJ Redick at Duke, you know, he did the same <laughs> yeah. thing at Davidson. He's nonstop. Uh, what do you think about, some of the the murmurs and and I don't know if it's been confirmed by Luca yet that he was sick in game one. And do you see that having some sort of impact uh, if, if it's valid in, in game two as well? Yeah, one source I did talk to say that, yeah, he wasn't necessarily feeling great in game one, but he sure. is fine now going into game two. So that report that Kevin Harlan had had because he was the only one I had seen. Yeah, in the report, and it kind of came out kind of late. But yeah, I talked to one source today and they said, yeah, he wasn't necessarily feeling great, but he's fine going into game game number two tonight. So hopefully that's a good sign that yeah. he'll, he'll be OK going into game two. So, yeah, I mean, he was he was on the court, right? So that's if you're on the court. Yeah, you're, you're at least you're at least not too sick where you can't play. So, um, well, obviously that that was something that comes out. And of course, that has meaningful impact on the game. Yeah, just got to look forward. Uh are you we haven't discussed this, but are you a are you a DC comics fan at all? I'm more of a Marvel guy. Okay. But 
you know, I get down with Batman, Superman, you know, sure. but I, I'm more of them. I'm a Marvel guy. Are, are you quite honest? That's that's fair. I, I love the love the MCU movies when I saw Doctor Strange last weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll hold my thoughts on that one for another pod, I think. <laughs> but if you're familiar and if anyone's familiar with, with uh, DC villains out there, one of the, the biggest and baddest is named Vandal Savage. And he's a guy that has a huge scar across his face. So I'm, <laughs> I'm looking yes. for Luca to make his his Vandal Savage impact. I've got I've got the side by side photo ready to go. So whenever yeah. he has that big game, which hopefully it's tonight, game two, that's coming out. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna ride that, and I'm gonna need your support on that to take uh, Luca. His next new nickname is Vandal Savage. I like it. I think I saw somebody put out on Twitter like hashtag Slovenian Savage or something like that too. I was like, that's pretty good, pretty good too. And it's it's funny. It's always something in a series or a game that wakes him up. Right. And it was the trash talk and him going back and forth with Devin Booker. Obviously, you know, some of the physicality and the stuff that was happening in the Utah series, you know, kind of woke him up. Maybe that, you know, scar face like scar across his face is going to wake him up going into game two and the rest of the series. But I think I feel good even with the way that things went down in game one. I like in a lot of ways the process in which the Mavericks went about getting their shots offensively. I do think they could have tweaked some things instead of look, they took 20, their first 20 shots of the game, 15 of them were from the three point line and they only made three of them. When shots are falling, you got to find a way to start attacking the rim. And I thought that there was a missed opportunity because Golden State really doesn't have a tremendous interior defense, if you will, even with Looney in there, that you can find ways to break guys down off the dribble and be able to get into the paint. I thought Spencer Dinwiddie did a good job of that throughout the course of the game, attacking the rim. I would love to see Brunson do some more of that, but it takes a little bit used to getting to the length and athleticism that the Golden State Warriors present on the defensive end, especially with an Andrew Wiggins, the way that he was playing in game one for the Warriors as well. Yeah, I, I thought Wiggins, as far as any defender that I've seen on Luka, when he gets in and he slows his pace and he gets you know his one-two off the gather uh, is nearly impossible to stop. I thought Andrew Wiggins, that secondary contest that he had was as good mm-hmm. as anyone I've ever seen in the NBA against Luka. And, and like you said, you know Luka, he'll figure it out um, as he always does. But yeah, I, it's it's going to be interesting. I I expect Kid to make the adjustments. I've I've really watched, enjoyed watching him blossom as a head coach, um, making those adjustments with the rest, of course, the rest of the coaching staff as well. Can't go without shouting out D Arm, you know, former Maverick right there. That's my guy, man. D A. That's my guy, man. Yeah. Love talking to D A. Before games. That's my guy. He's he's great. But I'm I'm excited about what the Mavs are going to present. The Warriors Stadium seemed. Pretty electric. It, it seemed like a, a good spot. I know it's it's the Chase Center now, but um, I, I think that the fans are happy to be there. It, for me, it just feels a little bit different. The there wasn't as much jawing as there was in the Phoenix series. Mm-hmm. You know, in the post pressers, it's not like this. This Warriors team has been there multiple times. Obviously, the Suns went to the to the finals last year, but they didn't feel as. And maybe some of this is strategic, right? Because they don't want to give Luca that motivation, <laughs> but they feel a lot more calm and, and poised after that game one win and, and knowing that it, it's going to be a long series. So that scares me a bit. I, I'm going to be yeah. honest. Yeah. There's a healthy respect from the Warriors to Luka Doncic and his capabilities uh, as a player. And you'll see that throughout the course of this series, but 
this is a different Warriors team than we've seen in the past six, seven years. This isn't the dynastic team that can, you know, go off for, you know, 20 to three runs and put you away in the course of a matter of two, three minutes. This team is older, more savvy, but obviously the experiences of Clay and Steph and Draymond, they've been together now for 10 years and helping this young group of guys, whether it be, you know, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, who have not necessarily been in these kinds of situations is invaluable for that team. And then you've got some other veterans on the team. When you look at Looney, who's been there and done that Otto Porter Jr. Veteran in this league, they've got a good mix of young and veteran guys that allows you to be able to have that kind of poise in these moments to where they're not going to get too high or too low because those three in particular, Curry, Clay, and Green, they know what it means to win championships and what it takes to have to pace yourself throughout a course of a series like this. The other guys are learning that, and I thought they acquitted themselves well uh, in game one in that way. Yeah, there's there's nothing more demoralizing than Otto Porter Jr. hitting a, a late shot clock Dirk deep two fadeaway. Yeah, it's- that was so weird. I'm just like, really, this is th- like that was that was one of the moments. I think Looney hit like a, a jumper as well. It was just like, all right, okay, this is just must be their night because those things are kind of out of the ordinary for what you know they like to do, you know, offensively at times. But you give them credit; they played the way that they did. And now going into game two, I'm interested to hear from you. Obviously what's the line looking like tonight yeah. as far as what that's going to look like going into game two, given what these two teams did in game one and the Mavericks losing by 25. Yeah. Well, the Gold State Warriors believe in Mavs gratefully sponsored by uh, BetOnline.ag. Uh, if you go to BetOnline.ag today, you can see that line. The Mavs are plus six, uh, plus 213. If you're, if you're feeling frisky and you want to money line them <laughs> to, to win the game, if you think they're going to bounce back, um, if you think they're going to repeat the the 2-0 series start like they did uh, against Phoenix, Golden State Warriors, obviously, they're minus six. They're minus 253 to win the game. The over-under is 213 points, uh, 213 and a half points. So again, that's at betonline.ag. Use the promo code BELIEVE. You'll get 50% off your welcome bonus. What do you think about that line, though? You think, uh, would you take plus six, us to cover? It, it, it's going to be a close game. We just mentioned... There are no close games anymore in the playoffs. So I don't necessarily see that happening. I think I'm on, I'm on the, the side of if you think the Warriors are going to win, take a minus six. If you think the Mavs have any chance of, of coming within six, then they can win the game and just take them to win it. Yeah, I would err on the side of probably taking the minus six with the Warriors. Like you mentioned, there's been no close games throughout these playoffs. And I don't necessarily see that happening here either. It's just really weird how this has gone so far. And the Warriors looked extremely comfortable. I think if you're going to see a close game, it's going to be within maybe three to four points, maybe a little bit more than that or a little bit less than that. I don't see any either the Warriors are going to blow out the Mavs or the Mavs are going to blow out the Warriors, I feel like, in game two. Uh, I don't know how particularly close it will be, but. I think that was a similar line in game one. I want to say it was minus six and a half or so in game one in favor uh, of the Warriors being on their home floor. So it sounds like they're keeping it pretty similar as far right. as that uh, that over under in terms of the points and what we're looking at from you know a betting standpoint. So, hey, we'll see. We'll yeah. see <laughs> exactly yeah. how this proceed, goes. Proceed with caution if you are. Proceed with sp- caution, exactly. If you're going to spend sure. money. What, what do you think just from like a from a macro level any guys on the Mavs specifically that you're looking at for a you know a gritty performance 
for down the line. Obviously, like they're, they're we're in the Western Conference Finals right now. We win this series. We're going to the finals. Um, that means a lot, especially for these role players. We look like this is definitely a team when you when you look at roster creation, it, it's it's top down, right? It starts with sure. Luca and then it's everyone else. Um, what are you looking for from guys like like Brunson or um Maxi Kleba? Maybe even if, if Josh Green somehow gets minutes, guys like Frank, what are they looking to do? Dwight Powell, certainly, um, to kind of secure their spot on this roster. Like is that something that a lot of these guys are vying for, you think? Yeah, it's interesting because there's three guys that are eligible for extensions this summer. It's Maxi Kleba, Trey Burke, and Dwight Powell who are all eligible for extensions. And I think the biggest question for me is twofold. One, what do you do with Dwight Powell? Do you feel like it's time to go ahead and move on from him? I know he's been a leader on this team for a long time. Obviously, he's extremely respected in that locker room. And the connection that he has with Luka Doncic in terms of his rim running has been well documented for you know several years now. But they've got to get better on the interior. For this team to ultimately get to where they want to go and winning a championship, while it's been fantastic watching this team make the surprise run that they've had to the Western Conference Finals, I still don't think this is a team that you look at long term and say, this is the group that can get you to multiple Western Conference Finals appearances, NBA Finals appearances. They've got a superstar, but how do you get the most out of him on both ends of the floor. And I think you got to find a way to get yourself an athletic big man who can not only block shots, maybe hit some three pointers. Hello, Miles Turner. Uh, possibly, you know, that's a guy that immediately comes to mind. Local. You think about the, yeah, exactly. Local guy as well who can you not only hit the three, but also block shots. Great shot blocker. And I know people get charged up about this, but, you know, ESPN's Tim McMahon earlier on this. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? I mean, it, look. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. I know people don't like Rudy Gobert's hands in terms of the offensive end, not necessarily a great catcher of the basketball, but what he is and what he'll have here versus what he had in Utah was guys that actually defend the perimeter and aren't the revolving doors like Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell are in right. Utah. So where he's not having to do all that extra work to defend guys because he's trying to clean up the mess left by Mitchell and Conley allowing guys to blow by him all the time. He wouldn't have that problem here. Now, obviously, there's questions about, you know, how would he fit his money? Are you willing to pay another max guy that kind of money? Because he's already on that max deal that he's on, especially knowing that Luca's max contract kicks in at the beginning of the upcoming season. Right. Uh, but Gobert, to me, makes a lot of sense. It's just whether or not you feel like he can assimilate to this locker room and whether or not be the kind of defensive anchor that you want long term given his limited offensive skills in my mind. Yeah, I I um if you watch that Jazz Mavs series, you know how impactful he can be on any yes. given possess, possession defensively, especially when you have um an assembly of other very competent defenders like the Mavericks do and then you have a guy like Luka who a lot of his defensive effort um or a lot of his defensive competency is due to whether he has effort or whether he has a effort. lack of effort, right? Yeah. Um, and if he gives a hard closeout and and a guy's, you know, he gives a hard closeout in the corner, if you got Rudy Gobert in the paint, uh, that's a tough shot for whoever is getting into the mid-range. Either they're going for a floater because they got to put it over Gobert. But a lot of times they're just kicking it out immediately because they're so scared of that guy. And, and his length, obviously, is uh, it's well documented. He's got a, he's got a couple of DPOYs and, and rightly so. He's, he's a great... <laughs> yeah. He's a great defensive anchor. So I, I, 
I certainly see the value there and and why he would be so impactful. I'm not really worried about him offensively if we were to end up getting him because because Luca will figure it out for him, right? He hasn't had. I know Mike Conley is a great playmaker, um, but not necessarily the Mike Conley that's been playing with Rudy Gobert for the the last sure. couple of years. Um, no, I mean I I think if anyone looks at we were talking about Dorian Finney-Smith at the beginning of the of the podcast last year, the the heavy criticism was that Maxi and and Dorian, while they are versatile defenders, were were asked to do too much. And mm-hmm. even just the addition of a guy like Reggie Bullock, who can certainly defend one through three and ha- has done it as well as anyone this year, um, especially you know when we're matched up against Steph, he, he's kind of been the Steph stopper. So I, I hope Reggie gets his legs underneath him. I think there was a little bit of um, tired tiredness from, from the seven-game series against the Suns. Agreed, agreed. But that has opened things up for Dorian to, to guard more wings, to guard more three fours. Maxi needs the help in the paint because he is he's a great backup big. But yes. he's not a he's not a 40 minutes a game big. He's not a 35 minutes a game big. He's like a 28 minute, 26, 28 minutes a game. Um, you know, obviously that pick and pop with him and Lucas is excellent. He's been shooting mm-hmm. the three ball. Really Especially well. when they go five out and they go small and he's able to extend the beyond the three-point line, that's where he's most effective with his defensive versatility to then be able to knock down shots from the outside when they go five out like that. But to, but to pair a, um, a very competent rim protector, whether it's Gobert or someone else, my, my biggest lament about March Madness this year was watching the Duke Blue Devils play because every time I watched Mark Williams play, so did everyone else. <laughs> and, and he just yeah. jumped up draft boards, rightly so. He's a fantastic player. Um, mm-hmm. But initially, I was like, "Oh, could he fall mid twenties?" You know, there, there'll be guys like uh, I think Coloco from Arizona might be there. He's an interesting guy. Um, but we'll definitely, you know, have to dig more into this as we continue to evaluate the prospects. And the Mavs are going to be picking at twenty six. So yep. um, who, who knows? Who knows who's going to be there? But. If you know, there's there's a lot of guy. I mean, second round. We have, do we have our second round pick this year, or we got? I be- believe so. I have to check, but I believe so. I have to check, but yeah, yeah. Picking up a, a kind of rim running big, I think, would be a a good addition to the roster. But if we want to compete multiple championships down the line, like mm-hmm. you're saying, it's got to be a guy who's who's done it before and can immediately slot in and make that defensive impact. But yeah, I'm excited to see. Hopefully. I, I, you know, I eat a little crow here and the, the, the Mavericks win game two on a fantastic defensive performance and Dwight Powell has five blocks, but we'll, we'll see. If Dwight Powell has five blocks, they're winning this game by 20. Like that's, yeah. that would be an amazing performance from DP. I think tonight looking at this game, you got to find a way to stick close to Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, close the airspace, get a little more physical with him. It reminds me this offense with the Warriors over the past 10 years, it reminds me a lot of how we looked at the Rams with their hell, you know, the greatest show on turf. What the Patriots is that they got physical with them, got them, you know, bump and run, try to get physical with. So my point is, if you're the Mavericks, you've got to find a way to introduce the physicality into this series, get them off their spots, be able to get some things that disrupts the timing and the rhythm. Because if you allow that ball movement, they're going to be running you off the screens. They're going to run their pin downs. They're going to run all those flares and all those actions that just really constantly is getting you moving. You're going to find yourself getting wore out pretty quickly on the defensive end. And you were talking about Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock. They've played heavy minutes throughout the course of these playoffs. The best thing that the Warriors want to do is, well, if you guys are going to be out there 35, 40 minutes, we're just going to run you ragged all night long and see if right. you can keep up with this. 
And if they can't, they're going to find themselves getting a lot of open shots. And then offensively, got to see the Mavericks attack the paint early on. Again, I thought the process in which they got some of their shots early on was good, but I thought they went away from it a little too much at the beginning of the game. When shots are falling, find a way to attack the rim and find ways to get Jalen Brunson on the post a little bit. Get Luka Doncic onto the block a little bit. Let those two make things happen from that post and allow things to happen offensively. And as you know, as well as anybody, it's a make or miss league. Right. You got to not, you got to knock down shots. And obviously they didn't do that in game one to the tune of, you know, what? <laughs> 10, four, t- shot 44 threes, made like 10 or 11 of them. You got to be better than that. In game I think two. it was, I think it was 48, which yeah, is crazy. Yeah, 40, yeah, exactly. Yeah, which, is, nuts. which is nuts. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think? Uh, if you're, if you're a kid, how are you talking to your guys to slow down the pace? Because they had 18 fast break points and it felt like they, it was, it was a clear um, goal of this Warriors team to push the pace, especially getting Luca to scramble defensively um, on his way back, especially, you know, what doesn't help is when he's complaining about the call that he didn't get, that makes it even worse. But, but what are you doing to mitigate that pace as best as you can? If you're the mats right now, it's going to sound weird, but make shots. I mean, the best thing that the Warriors did was they were able to get out on the break because they got a lot of missed opportunity, missed shot opportunities from the Mavericks. So the best way you can get out on the break is close out possessions with rebounds and then push the pace as quickly as you can to get up the floor for transition buckets or at least get some secondary offense on things like, you know, trailing threes and those kinds of things. So they've got to find a way to make shots to slow things down because here's the big problem with the Mavericks is they are so methodical in how they run their offense they're running the shot clock down to five, four, and three seconds that if you don't capitalize by running all that clock, by getting either something going to the rim to create a foul to get to the free throw line or being able to finish the possession with a made shot, it really makes things difficult for you offensively to remain efficient because you're just running down the clock, missing shots. The other team is going down on the other end, either on the fast break or two prolific three-point shooters where if you go – for zero points on your end, and next thing you know, Clay or Steph are hitting a three, you're going to find yourself getting behind pretty quickly in ball games. So if you're going to play that kind of offense, you've got to finish possessions with points. Otherwise, it could be a long night, you know, regardless of how this series looks if the Mavericks don't make shots in this way. Yeah, I, I still, I love Luca. I think he's all in all, a, if I were to rank my players, he would be ahead of Steph Curry. But there's something about when Steph Curry has the ball behind the arc where I think it's going in every single time. Yep. And the percentages haven't allowed me and the eye test hasn't allowed me to feel the same (laughs) way about Luca with his step back. And I think that, you know, if you're listening to the broadcast, you'll hear the same thing again and again and again, especially if it's a Van Gundy. But they'll say, you know, (laughs) a step back three from Luca, especially when the team is down, that's a thank you for the defense. Right. It is. Yeah. And and he just he has to stay in attack mode because that that always opens things up. So I'm excited about game two. I'm excited for our uh, our recap that will definitely be coming after it at some point um, and excited to keep going on. Believe in Mavs with you, Kevin. Yeah. Excited about this journey. I thought this was a great first inaugural episode of Believe in Mavs right here. And I'm looking forward to this journey with you, Alex, obviously. Jumping on in the Believe Network, I think, is going to be amazing. And obviously, we're going to have a lot to talk about when it comes to this Mavericks team. Hopefully, we're talking about a win after game two and then uh, game three. 
on Sunday, game four on Tuesday. We're going to be getting you recapped with everything here on Believe in Mavs, getting you caught up on everything going on in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, Alice, can they find you on Twitter? Where can they find you in on social media before we get out of here today? Yeah, my I'm uh, I'm at Toss Point Oh, like Tosh Point Oh, but toss. oh, nice. I like yeah, it. yeah, good, I like creative, it. clever. Yeah, not not the best branding because what what are you? You're Kevin Gray Sports. Kevin Gray Sports. Yeah, I try to keep it simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll be the one that uh, that posts the Vandal Savage uh, <laughs> me- meme with Luca after we win Game Two. That'll be me. Yeah. It'll go viral. It'll go viral there. So looking forward to that. So definitely catch us all over social media. Looking forward to obviously game two of the Western Conference Finals between the Mavericks and the Warriors. Can the Mavericks eat up their series at one game, please, before they come back to Dallas for games three and four and hopefully what will be a long, long series. So, Alex, appreciate the time, man. Looking forward to game two and uh, looking forward to uh, getting back together with you here and believe in Mavs to uh, Get this thing caught up for all the Mavericks fans and the MFFLs are going to be loving this podcast here on the Believe in Mavs. On the Believe Absolutely. Network. Mavs fans for life. All right, y'all. <laughs> y'all have a good day. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.